Yeah. I have so many things to say to you. No, you don't. <laughs> giant robot smashing into other giant robots. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Giant Robots Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast. Giant robots smashing into other giant robots. My name is Ben Orenstein, and we're here today with Jeff Casimir and Katrina Owen of Jumpstart Lab. Hi. How's it going? Hello. Good. How are you? Good. This is gonna... like my... Every week right? I have a new opportunity game, you know? to uh, prove to everyone what an idiot I am. Oh, you want to talk about imposter syndrome? We talked, we talked about this yesterday. Here's yeah. what they say about Ruby Rogues. This is the feedback everybody gives on Ruby Rogues. I wish Katrina talked more. That's, that's the consistent feedback. Well, first the feedback was, why is Katrina's mic such <laughs> and then we bought her like I saw, I saw you tweeted six hundred dollars of yeah. microphone stuff, a little foam shield, and all that. Yeah. And now they say, "How come she doesn't talk more?" Yeah, nobody's ever asked me to talk more. That no kidding. <laughs> I know. It's not fair. <laughs> you talk plenty. No, so I was talking yesterday. Who did I talk about imposter syndrome with? John Larkowski. The Lark. The Lark. We were talking about imposter syndrome, and I was saying that I think it would be good if more people admitted to it. Because I think that's the thing that there's the struggle is like you have these thoughts like, wow, I'm a total fraud and everyone's going to find out. And the part that makes it really hard is that you think you're the only person that thinks that. And like everyone else really has it together. And like they're like all these people that are with it are going to figure out what's going on. And I think everyone just struggles with that. I think there's a really high correlation actually between the people who are successful and the people who do struggle with that problem. Mm. Like, because it is a fuel to keep going and like, I have to keep up this ruse, right. And just keep pushing forward and keep declaring like, Oh yeah, I totally know what I'm talking about. I mean, I, I definitely had that when we started, um, the company jumpstart lab, I didn't know that much about programming, you know, like I had gone to, it had been six years since I had ever, programmed with anyone else mm. uh, and was just writing little scripts and little apps for running our school and just kind of went out and was like, all right, yeah, I'll teach you about programming. What do you want to know? And then whatever you want to know, I'll come back in six weeks. I'll learn it in the six weeks and I'll come back and teach you. And that was good enough. That mm. was good enough for the time. Now, thankfully now I actually know a couple things. Yeah. A couple things. Supposedly. Katrina, you were saying that you struggled with, you're struggling with some of this about your peep code play-by-play oh my goodness thing. i was i wait 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 katrina's doing peep code play-by-play well Uh-oh. if it's good enough they might not throw it away <laughs> we shouldn't talk about it because it's a bit if it's oh, that's not a good point good, okay good so you you have a candidate peep play-by-play right um it's in the can gotcha you did it how do you feel about it i want to throw up <laughs> to be honest yeah like did you do it here no in poland oh. um yeah i travel around the world it's kind of a big deal play by place behind your back behind your back i know right uh it was terrifying and i feel like maybe we got nothing done in Mm. two hours Mm -hmm. um on the other hand it was really interesting like it was a it was an interesting piece of code it was really fun to look at it it was great fun to actually talk to jeffrey about it Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) but but i felt like we got absolutely nothing done in two hours yeah were, were so, you working on aaron and Corey's code base nope from, oh. different problem different problem so the thing that that the first one that i did i took i took a crack at it so i had a play-by-play come out the first one i did we threw away because i spent about two and a half hours and was like we're kind of nowhere this is kind of terrible content and like that was like kind of shaking and jarring um so 
yeah, I just I think this message needs to get out there more. Like, because you're sort of, believe it or not, a bit of a Ruby celebrity yourself, Katrina. Like, you're doing keynotes at conferences. People know you as an awesome speaker, which is fair because you are, and a great teacher. And you're struggling with this. And so I think it is. I think we should say these things. I think we should share this and get this out there. Yeah. I, sometimes I tell people that I struggle with it, and they're like, "Well, yeah, it's a girl thing. Women oh, no, struggle no. with this." And I was like, "No, wait." Almost all of the guys that I have ever worked with have struggled with this. Not all of them. I, th- I think what you said, you, st- you started to touch on it, Jeff, of like, this tends to happen the more you try to do, right? Like, if you just stay completely within your comfort zone, you don't stretch yourself, you're not going to face this as much. But, like, the more you're trying to achieve and, like, the higher your sights are set, the more likely it is that, like, you're going to have to fake it for a while. And you're going to have this nagging feeling that, like, everyone's going to know I'm faking it. Yeah. So and there- it's also, like, your peers that you're interacting with, right, where... Uh, the other night, I gave a, a talk at a user group, and Jose Valim followed me. And it's like, we're not in the same weight class here. <laughs> he is rewriting Sinatra in Rails on the fly, and I'm talking whatever BS I had to say. Uh, and so it's very easy to look, and you're like, we're supposedly at the same level, and I don't feel like we're at all the same level in program. And to be clear, I'm far below Jose. Yeah. It's interesting that like that. Who tweeted? This? Oh, you you tweeted this last night that I thought was great. Which is like this is just a recap of my Twitter. Feed. Yeah, this That's is like, a I'm going to summarize the things that Jeff has tweeted. No, you said that um, something along the lines of like if you see someone whose work you admire, just go up and talk to them because like they're just a programmer like you. And I think that's so true because like I've started to hear people be like oh well like you know. It was, I was embarrassed to do something, something because like you had that talk on refactoring. And in my head, I'm like, are you kidding? Like, I understand where you're coming from. And at the same time, in my head, I am still just that guy that is just a guy. And like, it's, it's kind of shocking to me. Right. So I think that's really good advice. People look at, you know, your talk and they're like, oh my God, he's a God of both Vim and refactoring. It's like, well, if you practiced half an hour worth of programming for a couple of weeks, like you could (laughs) look really good. Absolutely. If you have a (laughs) carefully rehearsed. Exactly. (laughs) Absolutely. Anybody can fake this for a little while. And I, I think um, the point that was in my brain yesterday was uh, DHH yesterday morning did his 1,500-person keynote, uh, as he did, to kick off the conference. And then about half an hour later, sat down with me and did a Skype Q&A with our 24 students. And I think a lot of people are like, oh, my God, you were sitting with DHH do it, talking? It's like, yeah, he's just a dude. Like, okay, so he wrote races, fancy cars, but he's still just a guy. And if you're... I think what does happen, uh, sometimes people don't like premeditate what they might say to someone or they get nervous on their feet. And so they'll come up uh, to a speaker or something and be like, great talk. Silence. And it's like, thank you. I don't, who are you? Like, what's your name? You know, there isn't a, a clear thing. And so it's, I love it. One of the privileges of being a speaker at a conference is that people come up and ask you questions mm. or give you feedback. I, I love when you give a talk, especially at a small conference and people come up and they're like, yeah, I liked your talk, except for the part where you blah, blah, blah. And really, it seems like you should have X, Y, Z. You're like, yeah, that's interesting. And then you go and take that talk, add in their X, Y, Z. And the next time you give it, people are like, this is genius. Like, mm-hmm. I, know. I came up with it oh, all yeah. myself. Absolutely. I, uh, when people say great talk, this is the perfect opportunity to say thank you. And what is one thing that you think I could improve? Yeah. And it always continues the conversation. I have gotten some of the best feedback in that way. Yeah. That's great. That I've I've found that like talk, my talks get so much better after a handful of of givings. Absolutely. I, I think especially if you give a talk at a larger conference like a RailsConf, you kind of owe it to yourself and to the talk to give it five times before that. You know, whether it's local user groups, 
smaller conferences. Um, I've given talks remotely over Skype to a couple user groups, like mm. the Ottawa Ruby user group and um, smaller cities that don't have dozens of people dying to give talks. They're happy to have you do it remotely. You get to sit at home in your PJs and practice your talk, get that feedback, make those revisions, and end up with a much stronger product. That's totally true. That's good advice. Advice I have not followed for this talk, but we'll see how it goes. But it, it, it's, it, I think that's really good advice because it's almost impossible to figure out how it's actually going to be until you give it in front of a group live. And then you go, wow, that really did not work. Or like, I am so boring in this section. Yeah. Are, you, are you a full text practicer no. like do you give I, and that doesn't surprise me I, like i think we're the same in that way whereas katrina will yeah you're a scripter right i'm a scripter and yeah. read and memorize and revise the exact word she's going to say and it's and you can tell like when you watch your presentations it's like this warm glow comes upon like there's so much confidence in every word yep. she says whereas it's the two insanely of us polished have to get up and like bs right and, like tell some <laughs> jokes so we have time to remember the next thing we're supposed to say you're right and exactly that. the trick behind all of this is that i i don't know how to do improv like i'm i have all of these ideas and i find it very difficult to put words to the ideas so if i've if i've found the words that actually express that earlier and i practice that then at least i'll get my point across yeah I think that's like I think it's totally fine that there are these different styles, right? I think they can both result in in good stuff, and it's just whatever works better for for you as the speaker. And I yeah. think it's healthy even to have the mix like within a program, you know, as long as yeah. they're good. <laughs> no one no one enjoys a, a both ill prepared and poor talk with so, bad slides, right? With all those things, not that any of us have ever done that before, never. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it, it actually kind of makes me jealous. So we were, Katrina and I went over uh, one of her talks right before she went to Poland. And I was kind of envious that she can be on stage with one person. I feel like my kind of style, if I just have one person listening or God forbid, it's just me. Like I can't, I can't get, I can't do it. Mm. I, I can't like get into the mode. Um, or if I do, whatever I say in that room is going to be 100% different from what I say in front of the real audience because there's so much like reaction to the room for me. Yeah. Um, that's partly why I love conferences. One of the things I, I really appreciate about local conferences, smaller conferences, is that um, there tends to be a lot more interaction with the audience. We were uh, came to see one of your talks up at Boulder Ruby, mm. and everyone in the room, it seemed, was speaking just as much as you were during yeah, your talk. I love that. And as a presenter, I love it. I would imagine Katrina like kind of hates it because like, hey, I have things to say. <laughs> the things you have to say sound interesting, but how about we hold them for afterwards? <laughs> I put a lot of work into this. Yeah. Is that true? Well, nobody heckles me. Yeah. Because I don't give them time. That's true. That's right. Well, so it's much- just so obviously like a nice flow that's happening that there's no room really to... That's yeah. good. You They're scared. Precluded. Mostly. Yeah. Scared. And it's obvious you would clearly tackle them. <laughs> very violent speaker messed with but yeah I, I i that like that talk you said in boulder that was like one of my favorite talk environments because it was a small room and it was packed full of people and everyone was asking questions yeah and i and love ev- that everyone had opinions it was yeah really that's fascinating. true that too yep like i love a talk that's kind of a debate because like i the more i learn about this stuff the more i realize there are like very few absolutes and so like it's i don't have a talk where i'm like here's the way and you should do this and you should do that it's like this is what I do lately in this scenario. And like, it's been pretty good, but like, I'm open to learning more. I find it very difficult because in a talk the my first version of the talk contains a ton of like, yes, but 
like I'm hedging all the way through、mm. and I have to take all the hedges out to make a good talk、hmm. because with the hedges in the point becomes diluted. I find that it's, it's not a powerful point. So when I've given the talk, I'm saying these things very forcefully. It's this way and that's the rule and you do this. And I don't actually believe it. Like, I think that、huh. this is the good, this is a good heuristic or a good rule of thumb. And, um, I don't always follow it. It's interesting that you can't get both things there. Like, have a good talk that feels authoritative、Wishy、and complete, but not, <laughs> yeah, but not seem like you're hedging on everything. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's one of the mistakes that you see, I'll say, young speakers, and by I mean that in their speaking career, their first, second talk,、mm. is the first thing they'll get on stage and say, is talk crap about their own presentation. Yes, that's I just、absolutely. made this last night.、Right. I've been up all night working on it. Thank you But, for letting me know. I can leave yeah, right now. Exactly. Like, I'm going to go、right. check my email. Or they pre apologize. Right. It's like, it's, it's like, yeah, some sort of apology ahead of time for.、Yeah. I learned that lesson the hard way at RubyConf one year. I gave a talk, and I, at the beginning, I said, This is a subject that I've been experimenting with and learning about for the past few weeks. And so I'm excited to tell you about it. And afterwards, two days later, maybe somebody said something to me about, like, Yeah, so you didn't really know what you're talking about, huh? I was like, No, that's not what I said. And they're like, oh, that's what I thought you said. Like, wow, I can't、mm. believe I said something that made you think I was admitting I didn't know what I was talking about. Because、mm. obviously, that would be a tremendous insult to your audience to、mm. actually not know what you're doing.、Um, and so, ever since then, I've been extremely careful, particularly in those opening words.、Yes. Because it's when you're the most nervous. Absolutely. You're trying to.、Um, Yeah, you, you, you have to lower expectations、exactly. so you can exceed them. Exactly.、Yeah. It's like if I tell them it's going to suck and then I'm okay, they won't hate me. I prefer to put a hedge at the very, very end. The、mm. talk is over. It's like, okay, now I've given you all these rules.、Um, and actually, they don't always apply in real life. And th- these are some of the situations. And this is, this is when, you know, they're, they're only there to keep you safe when you don't know what you're doing、mm-hmm. while you can still hurt yourself. I like that approach a lot because. It's sort of you lay out things that sound like absolutes, and then at the end, you give the nuance. And I think that's such a, a good approach because I, I, think, I see this a lot in programmers, which is they want to talk about the nuance right off the bat. Like they want to talk about, like, here's the complicated little thing you should always remember、oh, as like a caveat that. to that.、Right. And like, it's because I think we're kind of really analytical and detail oriented. So it's like, I don't want to say something and have you. You know, go in like annoying programmer analytical mode and be like, actually, you know, yeah. there's this edge you case. You have the fear you... of, the, of that one guy、right. who's、exactly. going to stand up and be like, wait a minute, you didn't show all the command line arguments for this thing. And it's like,、Absolutely. you know what? That guy. Like, <laughs> that's right. You don't care about one out of 300, you care about the 299, and your time is much better spent. Addressing the things that are interesting and important. And I think, it te- I think it's a better way of teaching, which is like in the beginning, you are sort of grasping for meaning, and like nuance is not, not good for you. It's like、um, when you're training someone how to cook. In the beginning, you want recipes like this much of that, this much of that, 10 minutes, you're done. And, and then later, when you're a chef, it's like, you know, season to taste、mm-hmm. or like、mm-hmm. cook until done. Pinch of this, pinch of that. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, yeah, you, you can deal with that sort of ambiguity and that sort of nuance. But in the beginning, you really want clear cut rules. So I, I actually really like that format of talk of like, here's the clear cut rules. Okay. Now you, do you have a grasp on that? Do you understand?、It? Okay. Here are some things to think about that are sort of. It also lends itself well to kind of a wrap up.、Uh, mm. I find that a lot of talks just end. Like they're going, there's this stream of facts, 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 and, and, and 
I try and coach our students. So in our program, um, our students do lightning talks mm. and the reason we do them as lightning talks and not half hour talks is so that we don't walk out during the bad ones, right? Like you can survive a bad five minute talk. Yeah. Whether it's a five minute talk, half hour talk, hour long talk, there still should be a narrative arc, right? Like there is problem set up and you work towards resolution until finally you hit the resolution and then there's the closing. And it pains me to watch talks where people clearly have a lot of expertise. They have a lot of information, but they don't tell a story. Mm. It's just a stream of like, here's this interesting thing. Here's an interesting facet of it. Here's another interesting facet of it. Thanks. Here's my blog. See ya. And, and I need, so the way I ask our students is like, what is the one thing that someone's going to walk out of this room with? What is the one opinion fact, the one piece of information that they're going to walk away from your talk with? And that's not a topic. It has to be a thesis, right? So, mm. um, the other day in a talk, I, I used this quote from one of my college professors, uh, which was that your, your thesis shouldn't wash over them like a warm bath. It should be something that you grab them by their shirt collar and yell it in their face. And if you don't have something, <laughs> I don't know what I got the space bar for. Uh, yeah, that's a mark for our editor. If you, don't, if you don't have something strong enough to say that it's worth yelling in somebody's face, you mm. don't have anything to say. Mm. Like a, you don't give talks about a topic. You give talks about an idea. And an idea is a thesis. It's a belief. It's a skill. It's some kind of you're convincing people of something. You're not just exposing them to things. And it's really interesting because you can't just take that thesis and tell it to them. You have to give them a setup. You have to give them a reason to care. And that's their, the opening isn't the thesis. The opening is the problem, the, the pain, the emotion, the thing that will hook them in so that they're ready to actually hear your thesis. Mm. That's right. If you don't, if you don't set up the problem, then they start asking, why do I care? Right. And it, if they've asked that question, then it's too late. The very first thing has to be the problem. What do people usually do first? They introduce themselves. My name is Ben. Yeah. I work at ThoughtBot. We make custom web apps. Mm -hmm. Right. And so one of my favorite techniques to see people use is to just start with the problem yep. and then get through the problem and basically tell a story whether it's true or not doesn't matter like you're not doing the news you're giving a presentation right so make up some story and i was always doing this client thing and it was so brutal and the code base i inherited from this consultancy was such garbage and blah 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 and walk through a story my name's jeff casmer i work i have a company named jumpstar lab this is the story of how i solved this problem yeah. all of a sudden it's compelling it's exactly what movies do it's the right? james bond model yeah you don't you don't start off with like here's five minutes of credits enjoy <laughs> you you gotta you gotta reel them in yeah it's like, here's some action right off the bat. And now that you have had that, you know, your appetite sated, it's like, all right, now who is this guy and what's he doing and why is he in Zimbabwe? I've actually totally dropped the whole who I am because yeah. either they know it or they don't care. Yeah. It, it doesn't actually help establish authority. Yeah. It's like, I've, yeah, I'm down to one sentence is what I usually go with now. I actually want to talk about, so I'm giving a talk on how to give talks hubristically on Thursday. And uh, that's going to be one of the things I'm going to cover, which is like, you don't, you don't need an intro. You don't need to introduce yourself. Just put it on the slide, the first one and the last one, and if they care enough, they'll look it up. Right. Like, look up who you are. Yeah. And, and you can't convince people you know what you're, gonna ta you're talking about and then give a bad talk and be like, that guy really knew what he was talking about. You have to be like, I'm this guy, and here's what I know. And then they're like, okay, yeah, you, you knew what you were talking about. I can tell by your talk, not by your bio. I think there is a little flip side of that, though, where everyone understands that 
people are paying the bills for us to be here, right? Uh, Thought Bot, I'm sure, spent a tremendous amount of money to get all of you and all this equipment out here. Mm. And it is because this is a business. And so I think sometimes people are scared to like pitch in their talk. Like, oh, I don't want to talk about where I work. I don't want to say what we do because I don't want people to feel salesy. Mm. If it's under a minute, go for it. If it's 30 seconds, 20 seconds, and you're going to say, hey, we're ThoughtBot, we have offices here, here, and here, and we build uh, amazing web applications. And by the way, we're hiring. (laughs) And by everyone's hiring. Yeah, Yeah, of course. That's great. And I I think if you don't do that, it is a disservice to those people uh, that are paying for you to be there. Yeah, I agree. As a person who pays for a lot of people to go (laughs) places. uh, (laughs) Shocked you feel that way. I know, (laughs) Um, so we've talked a lot about uh, speaking. What if we uh, touch on a little G School action? G School. Yeah. So that, that's your main thing now, right? Like Jumpstart Lab does stuff, but that's the main stuff. Yeah, it's about two-thirds of the stuff. Two, all right. Um, so what is G School? G School is a six-month intensive web developer training program. Um, so where a program like Apprentice.io is excellent at taking people that have some programming skill and kind of uh, rounding their rough edges and making them ready to be great developers Um, we start a little bit further back of the trail so persons who we find to have the right aptitude have the passion to be a developer but for whatever reason just never never started down that road Um, Mm -hmm. so we take them kind of zero to 60 Uh, it is six months full-time our students put in about 1500 hours of work um, over that time and work in groups work on projects Um, it's all guided by our curriculum and our staff um since we started so our first training program was hunger academy at living social um when we started hunger academy dev boot camp was just getting rolling in san francisco and at the time code school uh, excuse me code academy code academy uh was getting rolling in chicago since then there are now dozens of programs um trying to to do the same things that the three of us are doing. Hmm. Uh, many of them How are flattering. much more. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can't, you know, like it doesn't scare ThoughtBot that there are other consultancies. So to some extent you get into that same, uh, you know, imposter syndrome that mm-hmm. we were talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just decided like, well, we're the best at what we do. Mm-hmm. And as long as you believe that, as long as you can convince yourself of that, then I think you can make it true. Mm. Um, so some programs it's very it's terrifying to people one of the most common questions i get um, is how did you come up with six months of material it's like well one day at a time you know we we didn't just sit down like i'm gonna write six months of curriculum um and so we we had a lot of things from our private training business we stitched it together um added a lot and continue to add a lot like Mm. all this is open source too right it's all yeah open source um it's Creative Commons license, which right. is a little unusual for open source. So we have a Creative Commons uh, non-commercial license. And um, I've actually gotten stories of about four people who have used our materials to teach themselves or work together in user groups and actually get jobs as developers, which I think is totally awesome. Yeah. Um, Speaks to the strength of the material and their will. Yeah. I'd say more the latter. Okay. You know, like the materials <laughs> were half decent enough. you bone. You just... Yeah, um, but that makes me really, really proud. You know, when um, we talk about our private training business, um, you know, we're talking about private training yesterday. Mm. Companies that don't bring us in because of the price weren't going to be good clients anyway. Uh, People who are going to use our materials for free probably weren't going to be able to pay tuition anyway. So it's not like, well, if we made tuition half price, then we'd have twice as many students now. We have... 
premium tuition for a premium experience. Um, we guarantee it on the back end. So students, if they graduate from the program, uh, we guarantee that we will find them a quality job offer within three months of graduation or we'll refund 100% of their tuition. Wow. Um, we'll see if that hurts or not. I don't think so. Doubtful. I feel pretty good. I don't good. think so. Although, as I yeah, said yesterday, they all want to work at ThoughtBot, so that's kind of <laughs> We're going to hire all of them. Yeah, I know. Thanks. Taking them. Thanks. So, Katrina, what is the experience of... So, you're sort of the in-the-trenches teacher at G-School, right? Yes. I do a lot of the one-on-one small groups, a lot of pair programming, pair debugging, code reviews, um, a lot of just being available for questions. Mm-hmm. And then I do um, as much as I can to help prepare curriculum and... Um, uh, Jeff likes to come up with ideas and then never have to think about them again. Whereas I actually like to take an idea and just kind of run with it mm-hmm. and make it happen as yeah. in, in as solid a way as, as possible. Um, so I try to do that. And very occasionally so far, I've only been there three months, but very occasionally I've done like full group instruction. And that's definitely an experience that I don't have like mm. from, uh, from beforehand. I've never been in a situation where I, um, have speak to a full group of people for maybe hours on end. Um, and I, that's something that I definitely need to learn a lot, a a lot about how, how to prepare for it, how to, um, make the dynamic work, how to, uh, introduce the subject, cover the subject, summarize the subject, make sure that the, there, there are opening for openings for questions, um, and kind of, I guess, take the temperature of the room and figure out if people are actually understanding what I'm yeah. telling, talking about. A multi-hour thing is a whole different ballgame than a 35-minute conference oh, talk. Oh, well, a 35-minute conference talk, I can, you know, I can spend 250 hours preparing for it, and then it'll be fine. Whereas... <laughs> it's not sarcastic. She spends 250 hours for some talks. Yeah, she tracks it. the time. Oh, do you? Yeah. Wow. Um, and then uh, for a multi-hour you know, session that maybe we didn't know we were going to do three days ahead of time. Yeah. Uh, I can't do it. So you just got to dive in there. I just have to dive it's in. Been, it's been really good for you then. Very. To sort of force you out of your comfort zone. Absolutely. That's I was awesome. thinking about it a lot yesterday during the keynote. Um, I was talking about the volatiles and the, what was the opposite? Stables. Stables. She's the stable. I'm the volatile. Yeah, so, I was thinking that. Uh, yeah. I, I, it's been really empowering for me to not be by myself anymore Mm -hmm. and not just have like 50 ideas that I can't pursue, but just have 50 ideas and be able to break off five of them and be like, Hey, Katrina, can you actually make these things? She's like, Oh yeah, no problem. And then I do one at a time, (laughs) (laughs) which is is one, one more than I tend to do on my own. Yeah. So do you feel like you're, um, understand so one thing i've discovered is like when i try to teach things i understand them far better when i'm done like have you experienced that as oh, a yeah. teacher every day yeah it's, they call you on your bs yeah well and i i call me on my bs um i'll i'll think i have understood something and they're asking questions about it and i'll be like 30 seconds into an explanation <laughs> i have to say you know what i have no idea i'm sorry i'm gonna go look this up and i'll get back to you yeah, i'll get back to you here's yeah. how i would answer the question let's go look at the api and yeah. we'll go figure it out yeah and that's valuable you know i think um kind of coming back to some of the conference stuff people have this illusion that like if you say you're an expert that means you know everything mm. right like oh you don't think aaron patterson doesn't dig through api documentation constantly like yeah. of course he does that's what programmers do And so when you're teaching something, whether it's in a classroom or in a conference talk, it's okay to not know everything Mm -hmm. uh, as long as you're genuine about it. Now, that doesn't mean 
declare up front all the things you don't know. It just means when you hit something unexpected, like acknowledge it. Absolutely. I think that builds so much credibility too with an audience and like admitting ignorance, I think is just, is powerful. It's like, there's, there's power in the truth. You can't get caught. You can't be like judge is like, yeah, that was the truth. And there it was. And that's okay. Right. And did, did you see Aaron Patterson's play by play, by the way? Because no. he, so he, he did one, and at one point it's like, ah, I don't remember how to do this. And he goes and looks at the Rails source and starts digging through it. And he's embar- you can tell he's kind of embarrassed of it. It's like, ah, I have to go look this up, and like, I have to do it. And it's like, imposter syndrome rears his head. Like, everyone's going to find out that I don't memorize the entire Rails API, and I have right. to look through the source code. And it's like, right. no, that's just, that's just how it is. That's what we all do. Some of my favorite mo- moments of watching experts are the moments where suddenly there's pure silence, and then you hear what yeah oh no why is this working like this so um what (laughs) moments of pure silence so where are you in g school uh we're halfway through the program now so our students are building rails applications um they were working on an e-commerce app when I was there. Yeah, it's kind of cool. Now we've entered the phase where they would have graduated from every other program. Um, <laughs> and we're in week 14. Now you're um, in finishing school. Yeah, exactly. So we're actually building apps at this point that are significantly harder than the apps I ever built when mm. I was doing consulting. Mm. Um, so the next one is providing and consuming multiple APIs um, using background workers, which, you know, it's not mind-blowingly complicated, but it's, it's tricky. Um, and then from there, going into a service-oriented architecture program where they build an app that's made up of about seven apps on the back end and provision a VPS, build it all up, deploy everything, you know, do all the Capistrano, patchy configs or Nginx, whatever. Um, not to mention designing those individual apps, making them all work, testing them, building the APIs. Um, it, it's, it's pretty intense. And the idea of it, right, is that we're in this practice phase where good practice should always be better than, should always be harder than the real thing. Hmm. Um, so we try and push them harder than their real jobs. And, and that was a little bit of our experience with hunger Academy. When I go back and talk to students is they say like, yeah, some things are harder, but overall, like my job is easier than hunger Academy was. Um, and that's, that's what I like to hear. Yeah. That's interesting. So will you be bringing in a new class when this one's done? Yeah. So actually our applications are open now. Um, awesome. Next class is going to start in September and wrap up in February 2014. Gschool.it? Gschool.it. Get those applications in there. But it's, uh, one of the things that struck me was um, you are not afraid to reach out to people, even if they're sort of big names in the community and whatnot. You have your own network that's pretty strong. And like that seems like a really powerful thing to bring to these the students like you this you seem to have introduced them to a lot of people in the community already like they have a nice uh base to work from already. i don't think they understand how lucky they are to right. have spoken with chad fowler um dave thomas and dhh all within the same two weeks i yeah. think right can't appreciate it until you, you have a little more context. Yeah. yeah, And I think that that's really important piece of the education, not just like, oh, you should feel cool that you did a Q&A with Dad Thomas, but to understand that uh, this is a community that is people-driven, not technology-driven. Um, if you took the same people and backed up time and did it all in Python, uh, I think things would look pretty much exactly the same as they do today. The Ruby... Is, an, is a nice language to work in. Rails is a solid 
web application framework. Uh, what's important is that it attracted the right group of people at the right time who are interested in these things like software quality, developing, uh, you know, half, not half-ass, and building good software. The fact that it's all around Ruby and Rails is really kind of ancillary. And so to me, it's really important to expose them to those people. Like mm -hmm. if you... If you say you're a Rails developer and you don't understand what role Dave Thomas plays in that, I don't think you're a developer. I think you're a programmer. Mm -hmm. And to me, programmers type code. Um, developers, it's a, it's a larger subset. Mm. I love the word programmer. I wish I could say I was a programmer. Mm. It sounds more like I had, would have a college education. I would know all sorts of you know, computer science-y stuff. Mm. I, mean, I could build my own compiler. I think programmer is a good word. Hmm. It's not that glamorous, I'll tell you. Yeah. When we, when I did. I I'm like a freak around here that I did computer science, and uh, it sucked. It's why I stopped. I stopped programming. I got done with school. I stopped programming. It wasn't until it was three years later that Rails came out. And um, talking to DHH yesterday was really interesting. He said that if it weren't for Ruby and Rails, he's not sure he would be programming today. Interesting. Um, and it made me realize that that's true of me also. Um, I was teaching I, I was teaching Java computer science, but I had no interest in writing Java. Um, the The process of programming was just boring to me. Um, I didn't care for the people, like the kinds of people that I had worked with in university. And I was teaching and was just focused on that. And then when I started doing Rails in 2005, it like reignited the fire of, wow, like creating things is really awesome. Um, and I'm super thankful to him, as I told him yesterday, like, completely changed my life hmm. yeah it's a nice career so will the next round of g school be in denver in denver cool same co-working space same co-working space that's a cool office yeah it's it's pretty nice um it's it's growing it's a space called galvanize that opened in december of last year and it's kind of filling in now thoughtbot has a little office there pivotal labs um a bunch of local Denver startups and yep. individuals and groups of people. So it's, it's a good environment to be in. It had a nice buzz about it. Yeah. Felt like good stuff was going on. Yeah. There's a surprisingly, um, besides us, the most like outside of Ruby, the most common programming language in the building is go. Huh? Yeah. It's kind of random. It feels like a bit of a sea change mm -hmm. happening there. I'm going to happily ignore it though. <laughs> Concurrency is overrated. Yeah. I think we're going back to single processors that are really fast. Definitely. Yeah. Moore is going to come back. That's right. That's right. Vengeance. We just need to invent new electrons. That go faster. Yeah, that's not going to work out. Go I'm going to write go. G school three is going to be all go. Boom. Go school. Done. Go school. Done. We actually, um, unfortunately, talked to some people that are doing go, and they told me um, they used to do Ruby, and now that they do go, they don't have to test anymore. Oh, Jesus. And I was like... Oh, hmm. I actually, I'm looking cool. forward to talking to them in like 12 months when their yeah, app has right, been exactly. live for about 12 months, just to see how, how they feel about it. You should tell, when they say that, you should tell them Michael Feather's definition of legacy code, which is code without tests. That's right. That's right. Say you are writing legacy code. It's one day. of the interesting, um, one of the differences between doing our private corporate training and doing G school, um, is that early on students tend to get into the testing, um, because they don't know any other way. They don't have to unlearn like cowboy coding. Yeah. Uh, but then about when we hit this midway point and especially once you get into rails and you get so many different layers of abstraction in the testing, 
they start to get confused. They start to abandon the practices mm. and say like, I don't have time for this. You know, we, this project is only two weeks. Uh, let's just write some features and then we'll put some tests on it afterwards. Mm. And what's been great, um, that we've done is we did a two week project. They finished it. We shuffled the teams and then they took over one of those previous projects oh, nice. and adopted the legacy code base, uh, and then had to add a bunch of features to it. And the first round, they were actually pretty decent, the apps. By the second round, because they cut all their practices, things started to just burn down. You know, mm-hmm. you're fixing one piece, you add on this feature in one part of the app, and this seemingly unrelated part of the app just starts to all break. And you typically don't notice it until demo day, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so they, they suffered the pain, but they didn't learn the lesson. So we brought it back for a third iteration and said like, oh, yeah, those stores you built were cool. Actually, we decided we need to do auctions. So I want you to take the code that's there and turn it into an auction site or add in these different features and so forth. Wow. Um, and now, now, they, now they're learning. It yeah. does seem like they're learning the lesson this time. Yeah, you are a nightmare client. That's right. That's awesome. correct. As they all are, right? Yeah. That's pretty much the story of clients. Although I think it's like, like going back to what you said, it's like it's harder than real life, right? Like it's, this, that probably wouldn't happen at quite that level, but it's, it's good to feel Not that in two pain. weeks, right? Like, yeah, yeah. You delivered last Thursday. That's great. It's Monday today. Let's change everything. Yeah. Although we, I've had some clients. Sure. <laughs> it sure. does happen. Sure. We wanted to, you know, one of the, the truths of consultancy is software doesn't die. Right, oh, like yeah. everything you write. Oh God, yeah. It doesn't matter if you fire a client; they fire you. Whatever, it's going to haunt you the rest of your years. <laughs> and if you're... it's in Rails and there are security issues, this is your problem. Yeah, it's scary. There, there's a myth of the like the one-off project, mm. or like this will we're just going to do this for a little bit and then we'll go back and right. fix it up. Right, mm-hmm. right. Yeah, and so that's why, um, you know, especially in an academic context, it's easy to often write projects and then just forget about them. Uh, we did this. Yeah, we got over the hump. We turned it in. Okay, we got a B on it or whatever, and mm. we never have to think about it again. Mm. And that's why it's been fun to be like, oh, really? Well, matter of fact, you do have to think about it again. And like, you can curse past self or uh, your former teammates for all the mistakes and corners they cut, but now you have to deal with it. Mm. I really like that approach of like forcing a, ch- a substantial change on a project. That's a really because that's the the great way to see how you've done. Like it's, it's off, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's less painful usually to add some new stuff, but if it's like actually all the existing stuff needs to kind of work differently. Yeah. You built Shopify. Now we want eBay. Right. Right. And that's, that's when the the real test comes. Like how flexible is this thing you have here? It also helps drive them uh, to build in iterations where the tendency, even though, so in our interview process, we used to ask, how do you like to deal with complex problems? And we stopped asking it because everybody says the exact same thing. Oh, I like to break it down into small problems and solve them one by one. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure you do. And then all those people who said that now in the class, you give them a two week project and it's like, it all leads up this giant waterfall till like four hours before delivery day. And they're like, Oh, we need to provision our production instance. And like, see, Oh wait, everything doesn't work when we push it up and all that stuff. It's like, you're not, you are attacking one complex problem with one massively complex solution. And if we can push them to understand how software changes, how requirements change, it drives you naturally towards shipping iterations. So you can get that feedback sooner and make change along the way, which is what I told them when I was there. That's right. Right. You I, also I pushed them, them in that direction about your four day work week, which is the thing that I think stuck with them the most. <laughs> well, I also recommend that. So, Hey, I'll, uh, whatever they can learn from me. That's okay. But coming back to the conference talk session, like 
don't ever live code. <laughs> what? You're telling Ben this? Yeah. yeah, that's what I'm saying. If you're a person that listens to rules, follow the rule of don't ever live code. Hmm. You don't listen to rules, so obviously okay. do whatever you want. Sure. You know? um, even people who do live code, like Jose was doing in his talk, um, he had everything open in a background tab. Anything that doesn't work, he's going to go flip over, do the big copy and paste. Yeah. And that's a perfectly responsible way to do it. Um, I would love to see people with conference talks start to step out of the box a little bit. Me too. Um, yeah. Something I did that was really fun back in 2009 at RubyConf, um, I did a talk where a friend in the audience was live coding while I was talking. Hmm. And so I was discussing the subject and he's like writing it out and I'm explaining what he's doing. Uh, the problem with live code isn't that you can't program. It's that you can't think about programming and think about what you're supposed to be saying at the yeah, same time, tough, yeah. at least not effectively, yeah. unless you have it extremely well practiced. Um, and so why not like bring somebody else in or, you know, go uh, Gary Bernhardt style and record little videos, uh, much more compelling. Nobody wants to watch you type, mm -hmm. right? And it's, True. it's embarrassing, like your typos and your, oh, I don't know all the top secret Vim shortcuts or whatever. Ben's <laughs> laughing at me in the audience because I type all my words. I'm like, judging you hard. I know. That's right. Yeah. The top secret Vim shortcuts. There's a podcast. <laughs> There's shortcuts you can't be told about. I know. <laughs> I don't want to know. You, you do want to know. No, I do want to know. That's true. All right. That's uh, I think that's that's all we need from you. That's all we can take. I can't I take it anymore. I can understand. That was we should let Katrina say something though. So it's just the two of us talking. No, she said stuff. She said all the smart stuff. She did. Our stuff is just going to be strewn on on Chad's laptop floor. Yeah, no, it's not going to make the final edit. It's gonna we be probably won't even be in the show. That's right. Like it's going to be Katrina saying smart out. stuff, and then that's the right. theme musical play, and then it's just the that'll be episode fifty. Podcast. <laughs> Episode 50, Katrina Owen. Says smart Solo. Yep. Says smart things. Yep. <laughs> Story of my life. Absolutely. All right. Well, I'm going to let you get back to the, the fun of RailsConf and all that, though. All right. Um, so we gave Do you... Do we get to say the the name of the podcast? Do you want to say the name of the podcast? Yeah, of course. We I may have say. already said it. Do it. Do you think we can do it in synchronization? Do you know the name of the podcast? Do you want me to, to, to set it up for you so you can come... Do you know the name of the podcast? Uh, well, it's giant robots smashing into other giant. Was it right? Yeah, yeah, you were there. Yeah, you were there. Giant, you, like, you, just, you just bailed. Welcome giant to episode robots. fifty of giant robots smashing, smashing into, into other, other giant, giant robots. robots. <laughs> we're shipping that. There it is. Coming at you, almost live, but with a delay from yeah. RailsConf. Oh, live from what? RailsConf. And what year is it? It's two thousand thirteen. It sure is. And we're in. Portland. <laughs> Dear God. You'll pay for the whole seat, but you'll only need the edge. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks. Yeah. It's, thanks very much. I think we'll give you a chance to plug G School, right? We said G School.it. Did I ever mention Jumpstart Lab does corporate private training? Uh, you didn't, but you should. It's almost as good as ThoughtBot's corporate private training. 90% is good. And I would say only 30%. approximately 102% is good. Got it. Well, okay. That's, I think that wraps things up there. <laughs> We've actually stopped. Thanks, recording. Katrina, for stopping by. And uh, Jeff, you can leave now. All right. If you would like to access show notes for this episode, you can go to thoughtbot.com slash podcast slash five zero. There it is. Five zero. This podcast was recorded by Chad Pytel. Produced by Chad Pytel. Edited by Edward Lovell. And we are out.